Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning, good morning. Um, how many of y'all even know what junior high school is? Did, did, did y'all catch what Rich, Richard and I showed our age by using the language junior high school? Because, I mean, that's when we were in, that's what it was called. Um, so we're old. We're old. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's unfortunate that, that that is, in one sense, that the, the 412 uh, Christmas gatherings moving for two weeks, but to Richard's point, Christmas will last another week or two for them. You know, we had a, a COVID scare. We had somebody test positive, and that's why you'll see about 20 people or so that aren't here today. Um, but nothing, part of our message today is, is, is that nothing sneaks up on the Lord, so we'll get to that in a second. I want to tell you all a couple of other things, and that is, you know, we've been in Romans for several months now, the Paul's letter to the church in Rome. <clears throat> Last week we took a detour off of that and we talked about scripture. We talked about God's word. We talked about the trustworthiness of his word and the, the, you know, the inspiration uh, in his word and so forth. Just putting a, a huge emphasis on scripture, on the Bible. And as part of that, down at the end of the message last week, uh, I introduced you all to faith life. And, and faith life is, a, is this new um, online community that if you are part of our church family that you are part of that and in your seat last week if this was in your seat and if you're sitting today this is in your seat if you have not filled one of these out we really 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 want you to do that because you will end up getting an invitation into that faith life community number one number two you will have access to Logos Bible software which is the premier uh, Bible software. You got to fill that card out though, so that we know that you're there and your contact information is correct. And if you think you've been here for two or three or four or five or eight years, and that we have the right contact information, fill it out anyway, because the chances are there may be a, a, an error in there somewhere. So you'll have access to the Bible software, almost 300 books inside of that software to dig in and study to, or to use as a tool to help you dig in and study Scripture, along with Faith Life TV, you'll have a subscription to that as well, which is thousands of hours of Christian uh, movies and, and courses and Bible studies and shows. So with that said, turn one of those things in at the Connections desk or in one of these black boxes that are around. Let me ask you, where were you when? Every generation, y'all, has its own uh, where were you when uh, question. The where were you when that when some cultural seismic event happened? You know, where were we'll go old school on you. Where were you when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? Or where were you when uh, John F. Kennedy or uh, Martin Luther King Jr. were shot and killed? You know, where were you when you heard about Columbine? Where were you when you, when you heard about 9-11? You know, most of those examples predate most of us here, probably. But we all, every one of us, if you're watching online or if you're sitting in this room, you got a new one that you can share. And that is, where were you when you first realized that this coronavirus thing was for real? Y'all, moments like these are big. They change things. They're, they change life. They're, there's no going back. You know, culture shifts, and our lives may never, ever be the same. 
Now, unfortunately, most of these kinds of events are negative. They're catastrophes or they're tragedies. They're just some big negative event in our lives. And they jump in and they jump on us almost always with zero warning. And they plunge our lives into uncertainty. Merry Christmas, y'all. You happy that you came today? Welcome to 2020. You know, what a year that 2020 has been. It's, I don't think that there's ever been a year that has been filled with more uncertainty, at least in all of our lifetimes. This has got to rank in the top ten of all unexpected happenings uh, and, and the most uncertain of events. It is like being, you know, in the middle of some science fiction movie. And we have all been living this for about a year, almost a year. You know, some of you work for big corporations, and in the last month, maybe they have sent you an email or your boss or your supervisor let you know, you ain't going back to work till May. My oldest son, that's the word he got a few weeks ago. You know, it's a big company in Columbus. They're in a huge campus. They're not going back to work until till July. Y'all, it's a big deal, and, and, <clears throat> and we've had this. Um, this global pandemic and, and economic devastation and mass unemployment and political division, hate-filled political division and racial unrest, what record wildfires and, and even like fire tornadoes and, and hurricanes and floods. Somebody tell me, did I miss anything? I mean, I don't think I missed anything, but I could have. You know, and this is, it's not this new word of the year officially, but it should be. And the word is doom scrolling. Y'all ever heard that term? D-O-O-M, doom scrolling. You know, it's when you get on your phone and you're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and you're just reading all these headlines and all of us have probably done that. We've scrolled through all of the doom and gloom that is in all of these headlines. Hopefully, we've caught ourselves and aren't doing that anymore because it can it can sink us into the depths of depression. Now, it may seem like I'm bringing us down. I'm really not trying to bring us down. I'm actually going to try to do the very opposite. But this is the reality that we have been lit, going to bed at night with and waking up in the morning with for like a year. It has been a tough, rough year. And I would say this, if there's ever been a year where we need Christmas, this is it. If there's ever been a year where we need the hope that's found in Christmas, this is it. If there's ever been a year where we need Christ more than ever, it would be 2020. And y'all, this season, this Advent season that we have kind of been in is a season of hope. Advent is a season of hope. The word actually means coming or, or arrival. And this season, this Advent season, traditionally is a time of expectation. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of anticipation. It, not just any kind of anticipation, eager anticipation. It's a time of, of, uh, of longing. And this season gives all of us here watching whatever then an opportunity to share in this ancient season of longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth and to be alert 
for his second coming. You know, we look back in celebration at the hope that is fulfilled in Jesus' coming while at the same time looking forward to his return with eager anticipation for the coming of, of his kingdom when he returns. And this is an active and it's an assured and it is a, a hopeful waiting that, that's going on. I can tell you this, far, far, far too often, our Christmases have become these frenzied, overwhelmingly busy time of the year. And our schedules get, um, get super packed with all the different seasonal happenings. The stores are start pushing Christmas decor earlier and earlier and earlier. And then you got Black Friday and you got um, Cyber Monday and you got Small Business Saturday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it is. And you got all this merchandise and it's fueling this buying frenzy in October and November and this season of peace, which is what it should be, this season of peace gets overwhelmed by a season of stress and anxiety. And I want you to set that aside. Hopefully, I want you to set that permanently aside. But at least for the time being, I want you to set that aside. And I want, to get, I want us to get together to, to prepare to get our hearts and to get our minds sort of focused on a, a story that is far, far greater than our own. And it is this story of God's redeeming love for our world. And y'all, it begins on page one of this book. This book is a love story from the beginning to the end. Now, I'm not saying that you need to try to pretend to be happy or cover up the pain and the tragedy and the hardships that maybe you have experienced this year. But I am saying this. Dig deep into the reality of what it means that God sent his son into the world to be Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to say that again. Dig deep into the reality of what it means, what it really means that God sent his son into the world to be Emmanuel, God with us. So wherever any of us are on this uh, anxiety level this 2020 anxiety level, wherever you are on your own kind of journey, I invite you into this season of expectation, eager expectation, eager anticipation. And I would like to even suggest that in the craziness and the uncertainty and the pandemic of this year that you and I have been given a gift. We have been given a gift and that gift is an opportunity to rediscover Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about rediscovering Christmas, rediscovering the hope of Christmas. Even when you're surrounded by maybe overwhelming uncertainty. Y'all, we think that we have got it bad today. But you know, so did Israel back in the day. Back in the day, in the days of the Bible, and they could make a pretty good case that during the time of Jesus, 2,000-ish years ago, when they and much of the world 
were a defeated nation and they were under the, the kind of under the thumb of the oppression of the Roman Empire. And it was a harsh day to live in. And it was a time of conquest and it was a time of, of brutality. And it had been a couple thousand years since the days of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob and the calling out of God's people. It's what happened when God spoke to Abraham. He called his people out. And it had been a long time since then. And it had been a long time since they had been invaded and conquered by enemies like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and taken off into captivity. And then you had the massive empires of the Greeks and of the Romans. It had been generations and generations since the formation of God's covenant with humanity, promising a Messiah to make things right, to turn everything around and to bless humans and to restore everything that we'd messed up since creation. It'd been a long time since that plan was kind of revealed, beginning at least with Abraham. It had been a couple of thousand years. The fulfillment of, of God's covenant and the coming of the Messiah who would come and make everything right and turn everything back right. It wasn't just some happy idea that drifted in and out of the minds of the, of the Hebrew nation. It was their deepest hope. It was that deep hope that sustained them, that deep hope that encouraged them, and it spurred them on, especially through a couple of thousand years, y'all, that's a long time, a couple of thousand years of uncertainty and, and waiting, they clung. They just clung to God's word to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And here's what God said to, to Abraham, Genesis 12 verse 3. He said, in you, in you Abraham, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. He said, I'm going to work it through your line. I'm going to work it through your genealogy. But oh my goodness, like the people must have been crying out, how long do we have to wait? Like it's been 2,000 years. How long we got to wait? And how long can hope, ultimately inside that question is, how long can hope survive? Especially under the brutal thumb of, of the Greek and Roman empires. They probably are sitting there thinking, was there even, even an ember of hope still smoldering? And as we can see in Luke chapter 2, it's where the Christmas story is in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke's third book in the Bible, in the New Testament. As we can see in Luke 2, the answer to that question is yes. I'm going to give you a shocker that ultimately the Messiah, Jesus, was born on that first Christmas morning. I'm not going to read the Christmas story today. I'm going to put that out there, and I'm putting the, going ahead and putting that out there uh, because I'm going to start the story in probably the most unusual place. At least if you've heard a bunch of Christmas messages, you probably hadn't heard somebody that started where I'm going to start because most of the time we end our Christmas story, this narrative with Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the stable and the shepherds come and they visit and the shepherds go back to their flock, back to their field, and we sneak the magi into the nativity because it's kind of more convenient to get everybody together for one last kind of group selfie over there in Israel, and then <clears throat> it works better for the Christmas pageant, and then 
we all sing Silent Night, we roll the credits. That's usually how all of that works. And Luke's narrative does, Christmas narrative, it does kind of end the night of Jesus' birth with the shepherd's departure. But the very next ongoing scene in Luke's gospel is what comes right after that is where I want to land today. It's what I want us to look at. And it's, it's particularly, it's the story, this narrative of Simeon and Anna. And I want to pick it up in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. And I want to read you sort of that, that story, 15 or 16 verses. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, they, Mary, and Joseph brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. If you can picture Simeon and he takes Jesus out of Mary and Joseph's hands and he's standing in the temple and and he's holding God's son up. That's the scene that we're talking about. So it says he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, obviously talking about Mary and Joseph, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, behold, this child is anointed, excuse me, appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. <clears throat> and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna were sparks. No, they weren't. They were blazing torches of hope in Israel. They were on fire. They expected, believed, trusted, faithfully looked forward to, to the fact that God was going to come through and do what he said he promised, what he said he was going to do. That, that this God that they served is a promise-keeping God. He said he's going to do this, and they trusted, and they expected, and they believed that he would. They were waiting for it. They believed him, and they're old, y'all. They're old. They're not part of our young adults' ministry. They're old. They're older than me. They're old. They'd lived long lives, 
They'd seen and they'd experienced both of them a lot. They'd experienced hardships for their people. They, they had experienced pain in their own personal lives. We know that Anna specifically had been a widow for decades, for a long, long time. We know that both Simeon and Anna, even in the hardships that they had experienced in their lives, because Israel, I, I laid this kind of foundation for you a little while ago, brutal, cruel times that they lived in. But we know that both of them, Simeon and Anna, had remained faithfully devoted to their God. They are so ready to see him act and do great, wonderful, and miraculous things. And, and did you notice in, in that, that those 16 verses in Luke's account that neither one of them seemed the least bit surprised about the fact that this baby is the long-awaited Messiah. Most of the people in the Christmas story, you know, kind of take some convincing of the whole deal. Now, many of them, maybe uh, an angel had appeared to. Sometimes that angel caught them off guard, kind of scared them, shocked them a little bit. Maybe God knew that Simeon and Anna, because they're old, that maybe if an angel showed up that they'd have a heart attack or something because that's what we do when we get shocked when we're old. We freak out. But I don't think that's the case, really. I think that God knew that he did not need to send an angel to the two of them because they were pillars of faith because they were ready. They had been waiting, and their waiting and their anticipation was steeped in total, absolute trust in a promise-keeping God, they were filled with hope. And that hope that they were filled with, that, that longing, that, that anticipation, that faithful expectation, that kind of hope made them ready. They were ready. Day after day, week after week, year after year, the two of them, they had served God faithfully. And they were inspired and they were fueled by the hope that God was at work. Even when they didn't see him at work, he was at work and they trusted that even though they didn't see it, that he was doing stuff and that he was, he was working. Even as time passed and they grew older and older, Simeon and Anna, they held on to that hope and they nurtured that hope, new and renewed hope as they focused on God, as they worshiped him, as they served others and as they took uh, one faithful step after the next, they probably said, of course God came through. Of course he did. It's what he said he was going to do. Of course the Messiah is here. It's what he said he was going to do. Y'all, do we just profess something or do we really believe that what we really believe is really real? If it's really real and we believe that it's really real, we will change the way that we do things. Of course he came through because that's what he said he was going to do. And they rejoiced and they celebrated with the people around them and it instilled new hope in them and the people around them because, you know, hope is infectious. Doom scrolling is infectious too. But hope is infectious you're a Christ follower, people should look at you and say, I want what he's got. That hope, I've been living my whole life hopeless. What 
is it that makes you hopeful in the midst of all this junk? Was Jesus that makes me hopeful in the midst of all this junk? And even with Mary and Joseph being there with, uh, with Simeon and Anna, you got to think that they were still trying to figure out what it really meant to be the earthly parents of God's only son. It's kind of a big deal. They're trying to figure that out. And I believe that Simeon and Anna and this short little narrative give us some, some, some pointers. They show us several things about hope and the power of hope that we can take home with us today and very much apply to our lives. Number one is this. I'm going to give you three or four. Number one is this. Hope sees beyond. Beyond what? Well, hope sees beyond everything. Hope fuels faith and dreams and possibilities. Hope whispers in your ear when you have this doubt. Hope whispers in your ear, maybe, just maybe it'll work out. That's hope that is doing that. It's Hope is this, this first flicker of light on a new morning. And so I'm telling you, no matter how bad the year's been, no matter what kind of problems you got, no matter what kind of struggles you're facing, maybe right now, today, no matter what kind of season of darkness or pain that you are in, let me encourage you, do not abandon hope. Hope is alive even in the deepest pain and the most seemingly hopeless circumstances. It is hope that chases the darkness away. It's hope that chases the uncertainty away. Hope is alive because God is with us. That's why hope is alive, because God is with us. Y'all, we walked through a couple of months ago, spent about three or four weeks walking through Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 is the blank, uh, thank you, the blank chapter, the greatest chapter in the, in the Bible. Many would say Romans chapter 8. There is a section in it that kind of sometimes gets overlooked uh, in Romans 8, and I'm going to hit on that a little bit in a second. But he start, Paul starts off Romans 8 in verse 1 with this declaration, one of the greatest declaration, probably the greatest declaration in Scripture. He says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say there's some condemnation. He says there's none. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That sets the stage <clears throat> for all of chapter 8. And then he goes and he says what it looks like uh, for God's children to live by the Spirit rather than to live by the law. And then he shifts, he makes a little shift to talking about our future with God and how God ultimately will fulfill his work in us and to restore uh, all of creation. And here in verse 24, 5, and 6 in Romans 8, he says this. He says, for in this hope, I think it's on the screen, yeah, for in this hope we were saved. Now, you've got to look at these next two kind of statements, and they're, they're, they're confusing maybe a little bit. He says, now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He says, hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? You see, hope exists before a reality comes to pass. Hope exists before something happens. You know, you can hope in your heart. 
you can hope with everything that you got that I really got a $100 bill in my pocket and I'm going to give it to you and you're going to walk out of here $100 richer this morning. You can expect it. You can look forward to that with eager anticipation, with longing. You can hope that you're going to leave with an extra 100 But as soon as I give you that 100 and it becomes a reality, then the hope is gone because you already got it. Now you can accept it as a fact of reality because see, the, the reality is that hope precedes our present reality. Hope by its very nature exists in the uncertainty before. It exists in the questions. It exists in the doubts even. It, it exists in that unclear sense of what is to come. That's where hope kind of exists. But hope, hear this now, hope is the willingness and the desire to believe. And in that word believe is trust and faith and you have no doubt, okay? But hope is the willingness and the desire to believe beyond what our present circumstances and reality are showing us. Does that make sense? Hope is the, the willingness and the desire to believe beyond whatever pit we're in in the moment. And then beginning in verse 26, and I think this is super important because he's tying this to hope, Paul is. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, how is that? How, how likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness? How? And that leads to number two. Number two point is this, but how does he do Because God is with us now, here, now, and always. God is with us. Y'all, when you're living with the Lord, there is no uncertainty. He knows your pain. He knows the challenges. He knows the struggles. He was not taken by surprise when a new coronavirus mutated, spread, and went global. It did not. I know I say this all the time, but it didn't sneak up on him. He wasn't surprised when the economy locked up. He wasn't surprised when you or a friend or a family member got back a test and it was positive or you got a call in the middle of the night or you heard the words that just crushed and broke your heart. He wasn't surprised when something in your world just left you in confusion or anxiety or uncertainty or depression. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And it's not even like he knows where every hair on your head is, which he doesn't have to look far for me, but he, it's not like he just knows where every hair is. He cares about them, right? It's not just he knows what you're going through. He cares about what you're going through. And he is here. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And this hope, this hope that he delivers, this, this hope that he embodied and fulfilled and brought into the world so long ago, this hope that he offers me and you today, it isn't a hope that he dangles in front of you like teasing you with it and then holds it just a little bit out of reach like it seems too far off or it's too impossible to get to. It's not a hope that he conjures up and demands that 
that you find in the middle of a struggle. No, this hope, this biblical hope, it is infused in a Christ follower. It is living inside of us. It is a hope that is filled in us by his spirit. Even in our weakness, his spirit is living in there. Maybe because we are weak, he's living inside of us. Even in the worst circumstances, in the deepest, darkest pain, when the faintest little glimmer of hope seems too far away or too impossible, when we feel too weak to carry on. You know, one of the greatest little passages, little nuggets in, in Scripture, in Matthew, and Matthew's like my... Matthew's my bomb. In Matthew, I think it's in chapter 11, and, and Jesus is talking about take my yoke. Y'all know what a yoke is? A yoke is the wooden harness that fastens two oxen together. And it doesn't fasten them together to keep them together so they don't wander off. You know, I don't know if oxen wander off or not, but that's not why they're yoked together. They're yoked together because when oxen A can't take another step, oxen B takes the step for him. Y'all, that is what happens when the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. In our weakness, when we can't take another step, he'll take the step for us. When we feel too weak to carry on and we feel this, this grasp even on hope kind of slipping away, his spirit is with us. His spirit helps us to restore hope by reminding us of God's faithfulness by reminding us of all the promises that he makes us. His spirit leads us into his word. His spirit illuminates the word for us. His, his spirit lets us know all of the promises that the Lord has made to us. Our Emmanuel who is with us. Y'all, he has promised his people throughout history right down to this Sunday morning in Columbus, Georgia, Messages of hope. He's left little nuggets all throughout the scripture, messages of hope. Look at Jeremiah 29. And I'm not going to go down this road today, but this is one of the most misinterpreted, misapplied passages in scripture. I'm not going to go down that road. I could talk about that for an hour. But here's what it says. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The Lord's saying this. I know. He knows the plan. He knows the plans for you better than you know the plans for you. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. That word that's under there in Hebrew is shalom. Some of your translations say prosperity. That don't mean money prosperity. It's really a bad translation, prosperity. It's peace. It's welfare. It's security. And so the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for peace. They're plans for welfare. They're plans for security, not for evil. The Lord never will have plans for evil for you. And he says, I know those plans, and they're plans for peace for you to give you a future and hope. Hope. And then the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, at the beginning of chapter 43, says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, he says... Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When I think about the Lord looking at me and saying, Ed, you are mine. 
dude, there's hope in that. There's hope in that. Verse 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, the rivers shall not overcome you, overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Can you not just feel and hear and see the hope that screams off of those words? We're not alone. You are not alone. Even in your darkest, deepest, nastiest moments, you are not alone. Christ has come. God is with us every single step of the way, number two. And number three is this. Hope inspires us to carry on. Hope inspires us to carry on. It fuels us. And the Apostle Paul described this cycle of hope like this in Romans chapter 5. He explains that because of Jesus, we rejoice. We rejoice in what? In hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How in the world can we rejoice in our sufferings? Because we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't put us to shame. Because why does hope not put us to shame? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How is his love poured into our hearts? Through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Y'all, this hope from God's Spirit does not put us to shame. It's not going to let us down. It's not going to disappoint us. That hope is going to give us a new and a growing strength to see beyond the pain and the confusion and the anxiety that may be just laying right in front of us. That empowering hope, it reminds me of a story back from, I think, April, this April, a story about a, uh, in England, Captain Tom Moore. Any of y'all remember when this happened back in April? Does April not seem like April like 1999 right now like this was only you know eight or nine months ago uh, a guy in England Tom Moore is his name and in all the doom and the gloom of the pandemic Captain Tom rises up as the most unlikeliest of heroes Tom Moore now it's Captain Sir Tom Moore because he was knighted by the Queen of England he's this hundred year old man who single handedly raised almost 40 million dollars for the British healthcare system. And he did that. Any of y'all remember this? See, that's crazy. It's huge news, but it seems like 20 years ago. He walked, a hundred, he's 100 years old. He walked 100 laps around his garden and it started off as a challenge uh, by his son who said, if you walk, for every lap you walk, I'll donate a dollar. And it was really a pound, but I don't know the exchange rate, so just roll with me that it was a dollar. A dollar for every lap. 100 laps because he's 100 years old. Well, his daughter saw what was going on, and she, she shares it on some social media site, and it kind of goes viral, uh, and the news spread like wildfire. Captain Tom was a World War II veteran, and he's clinching his walker. It's a really feel-good story, and he's, you know, with his walker walking around um, his garden, and he ultimately raises, I think, about $35 million. Tom Moore was an inspiration. What a crazy, amazing story. You know, when I'm 100, if the Lord tarries enough and, and, and he doesn't come back, I want to be like, like Captain Tom. You know, I want to be Captain Tom when I grow up. But here's the deal. Captain Tom told reporters when all this thing was over. He said something I think is super profound. He said the first step was the hardest. He said after that, I got in the groove, got in the swing of things, and I kept going. But the first step 
was the hardest. Is that not so true for so many things in our lives? The first step is the hardest. I believe for many, many, many people that, that, that that's true of hope, that the first step is the hardest. It can be so hard to lift up your downcast, tear-filled eyes to look for that ray of light, that tiny spark of hope when you feel stuck in the muck, when you're curled up in the bed in the throes of depression and someone says to you, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you need to get out of the bed and take a step. When someone says that to you, your inclination is to look back and say, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. That's just a bunch of junk. When you're in the throes, if any of you have ever suffered with depression or have a friend or a family member or a husband or a wife or a son or daughter, that's the feeling. And people are driven by feelings. It can seem so hard. And you know what? It's so easy to get in that place, but it can seem so hard to reach past our troubles of the moment to grab the Lord's outstretched hand that's reaching down and he's probably been reaching that outstretched hand down for 20 years and it can seem so hard to reach up and accept it, so hard to do that. It can feel so impossible to, to take that first step of hope when you're weighed down by the burdens of life. But when we receive the promise of hope in God's word, over and over throughout scripture, the promise of hope, we can find new strength. And you can kind of see a glimmer of light down at the end of the tunnel. We can accept the power of that hope. We can find a new inspiration when, when we focus on the power of hope that is embodied in the birth, in the life, in the death, in the resurrection, and in the eternity of Christ, we can discover a new strength to take that first step and then maybe to keep stepping and maybe to keep walking and then maybe even to throw the walker down and run laps around the garden, maybe. But it is all one step at a time and it begins with the first step. Hope inspires us. Hope emboldens us. Hope builds upon hope that builds upon hope. And y'all, it is embodied in everything that is Jesus. Hope is embodied in everything that is Jesus. What is the next step of hope that you take today? Often, we as humans, we want to know what's going on tomorrow, what's going to happen tomorrow. We want to know the future. We want, we want to skip to the end of the story. We want to know all of that. But it just don't work that way. It's not a privilege that we've been granted, but in Christ, we have been given the end of the ultimate story, right? In Christ, we have been given, if we are in Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been given true and genuine and authentic life that transcends, that trumps the pain and the brokenness of our present world. Here is something, y'all, that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. 
and I am not going to be driven by feelings. I am not going to live my life based on feelings. The devil would have for you to do that. I am not going to live my life based on emotions. The devil would have you do that because you'll just react. Squirrel, and then you're going to react. I'm going to base it on what I know. And you know what I know? I know that 2,000 years ago, hope became flesh. Somebody write that down. Hope, hashtag, hope became flesh. Hope became flesh and walked among us. We can find hope in the arrival of Christ. Like huge hope in the arrival of Christ. We can draw hope from God's faithfulness in fulfilling his long-awaited promise of the Messiah. He promised throughout the Old Testament. So we can find hope in focusing on the fulfillment of that this Christmas and the continued work in us and, and around us. One day that hope will even, no, one day even the need for that hope, you know what? The need for that hope is going to go away. You know why? Because he's coming back. And when he comes back, we don't need to hope anymore because he will be back. Why will he be? The Lord promised that he will be back and he keeps his promises. And so I'm telling you, in the midst of whatever life is throwing at you, you can experience the hope of God's spirit within us, within you, carrying you, strengthening you, emboldening you, and giving you the strength to take one more step. And so my invitation for you this morning is this. What's the step of hope that you're going to take? Y'all, one huge difference between a believer and an unbeliever is hopeless to hopeful. That is a huge difference. I have talked to so many people in my own family that I've said, what do you think? and I didn't open up with this question, but in the course of the conversation, what do you think is going to happen when you die? And the answer is, I don't care, I'll be dead. I don't care, I'll be dead. That is the most hopeless thing I think I've ever heard in my life. I don't care, I'll be dead. That's not the reality. We're all going to be living somewhere for eternity. In Christ, there's no condemnation. There's hope. So let me encourage you this morning, if you've never clung to, latched on to that hope, latch on to it today. Repent and believe that Christ's death on that cross took care of your sin, paid for that sin, and you will find hope. Y'all pray with me. Lord, let today be the day that I move from hopeless to hopeful. Let today be a day where I, where I buy into your plan where I repent for my sin and I believe that you died on the cross and I ask you, Lord, save me. Save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If that happened to you and you did say yes and you, you actually went from a hopeless life to a hope-filled life, if that happened to you today, please let us know. If you're watching online, go to our website and click on the Connect tab and let us know with one of those little forms that you can fill out. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to walk that journey with you. We want to ultimately disciple, help to disciple you. If you're here and that happened, praise the Lord. Fill out one of those connection cards in the seat back in front of you and let us know that happened. Stick it in one of these boxes or, or give it to somebody at the connection desk or put it in my hand or something, but let somebody know. I'll turn it back over to the worship team.